recorded live. A little delay there, but yeah, the timing's not bad. Welcome to Cellar Dwellers Home Winemaking Talkcast like with this Dave voice, Nelson but... and the other guy. Well, it's a minor miracle these Cellar Dwellers are back on the air. You know, I've seen in the news, where have they gone? Where are the cellar dwellers? We got, we got a lot of emails. Um, in fact, uh, let's, <laughs> this is going to be rather embarrassing, but uh, let's just go to uh, some, of the, uh, some of the emails that have come in. Uh, last show, uh, this one comes from uh, Jerry. He says, uh, hey, guys, one of your best shows ever, one hour and seven minutes of pure silence. <laughs> we totally screwed the thing up. <laughs> that crack team of technicians—they're uh, yeah, going to hear from me. And this message was posted on our uh, on our uh, cellardwellers.ning.com site. Uh, it said uh, one hour and seven minutes of dead air. Apparently, Dave decided to let Toggle leave the segment tonight. <laughs> oh man! Oh, well, yeah, we definitely totally screwed up the last show. What can we say? Um, it it went out on the air, and I think. Uh, Nobody, not a single person heard it live. We totally blew the recording, and we didn't have a backup recording. I, I mean, we almost always run a backup recording. We didn't have a, we didn't have a computer. We well, a yeah, it was, uh, there were some technical difficulties. And that was, we were hysterical. <laughs> that was our best show ever. There were two people laughing like crazy. <laughs> Oh man! So um, I am I am Dave Cellar Dweller Number One, and you are the other guy, the other guy, the Back passionate the one, Tog, T O G, and um, and this is only our third show of the year here on the last day of March of uh, 2008. Well, we've both been very busy boys. We have been, and by the way, we are now on Monday nights at nine o'clock. We we just yes. cannot swing Tuesdays anymore, so it's now Monday nights, uh, nine p.m. Eastern time. Seven two four triple four seven triple four. You can call in and join us. I see David is. Uh, we'll get to David in a minute. Then Reloader, Bike and Fool is back. Uh, Carrie twenty nine. Mark from Washington. I wonder, is that the Mark we sent the uh, wine to on his twenty first birthday last year? We're gonna have to uh, check to see. I don't know that I've seen he Mark. Was, from yeah, he was Washington going off. Before. Nope, not him. But uh, <laughs> all right. All so right. Uh, and uh, is that Tog or Sinatra? David says. Uh, I guess you're. What, what do you call that, melodious or mafluous? Mel- melodious, I think we're going to say. Can we leave, re- leave religion out of the show here, please? <laughs> we will. So uh, remember, the more you melodious. drink... Melodious. Melodious. That's like uh, of melody and harmony and all Sounds those good things. Sounds to me. The more you drink... The better we sound. The better we sound. Unless, of course, you are the guy who's responsible for using the nylon strap to attach the crane to the side of the building, you know, 64 floors up in, oh, in Manhattan. Boy. What was he thinking? Oh, that thing, uh, they, they did, I was in Manhattan, actually, uh, both last Wednesday and the Wednesday before, and, and two Wednesdays ago uh, was just after that crane collapsed. It, it, you know, it was so tall it fell over and um, basically blocked an entire uh, city block. I think it killed seven people. Oh my you know, gosh. probably you know the crane operator for one, but you know took out another six, and uh, they were rerouting traffic. And so I was I was trying to get to uh, Lexington and 53rd, and up around there it was just a massive traffic jam. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, we will sound better if you drink, but if you're the guy who's attaching the, they said it was a broken nylon strap 
that caused that crane to tip over. No, that doesn't sound right to so me. So don't drink if you're that guy. You're the, if you're the crane well, strap guy, yeah. don't drink. At this point, I think the crane strap guy is drinking heavily. <laughs> 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 okay, so, uh, uh, well, yeah, our last show, best ever. What can you best say? Best ever, hour and ten minutes of, of silence. Yes, brilliant. Uh, what the heck have you been up to? I'm, I'm willing oh, to spill goodness. the beans on what I've been doing. but uh, Yeah, I know we've both been busy. I'm actually in the process of... Flying back and forth, practicing in Phoenix, Arizona. So I sort of do a week on, a week off type of schedule. I started that last month, and, um, you know, it's pretty crazy, different for me. Interesting, fun. They've got some darn good wines down there. In fact, I had a great Zinfandel. And here's an interesting thing I was sharing with the, the numbers guy earlier before the show. In Phoenix, because it's tip- it's obviously warm most of the year or all of the year, they, I had, every time I've ordered a bottle of red wine down there, it's come slightly chilled because they can't, room temperature around there and, and hallways and storage places and stuff are so much warmer. They keep these things really in the correct, probably 65, 67 degrees, 64 degrees. And I'll tell you what, it makes a difference. It really makes a difference. It's, uh, no, you're so right because so many red wines are a bit hot on alcohol these days. And just like chill, chilling or freezing a bottle of vodka, you don't want to freeze your wine because you'll lose all the you know, aromas and essences. But knocking that red wine down from room temperature in Phoenix, which is 80, or even room temperature here in Pittsburgh, which might be 72 or 68, you want to bring it down to 60 to 65, take that edge off the alcohol without suppressing the aromas and essences. By the way, in the chat, um, Reloader, and I was thinking this exact same thing. I mean, you're 23 years into your dental career. Rick wants to know why you're still practicing. I think that's a... Practicing. Really good question. Why well, do they call it practice? You know, everyone thinks you should you should get there, but what I've learned in dentistry that you just have to have lots of patience. <laughs> Two, three, four. <laughs> I was taking a sip. But a boom. Yes. <laughs> but seriously, I just flew in from Phoenix. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, well, and you know what's interesting is that that show uh, last time that was an hour and ten minutes. That's the only one I did try to down. So I sat on a plane for an hour and ten minutes with my MP3 player and said, oh, "What so a so show!" You, you, you really tried to download Dave, that. You were brilliant. And you got the you got the first seven seconds, the, the audio logo, talk to you. I, I thought, seriously, none of this stuff works. What am I doing? <laughs> I'm getting all mad. We totally we totally screwed up. By the way, uh, Jim writes in on sellerdwellers.ning.com. Um, he says, we're, started, we're beginning to think that the cellar dwellers might have some real-life problems uh, that they can't tell us about. And indeed, we do, <laughs> we do although Jim was Isn't saying that obvious? illness, death, something of that order, God, we hope not. And we hope we don't jinx them with such negative worries. Uh, Tog and Dave, you guys, uh, were, were you guys too drunk to do a show or are we right? Please be drunk and not the alternative, uh, Jim and Marissa. Oh, well, and uh, thanks for the concern. Yeah, and so we do appreciate the concern. Um, I um, I wrote back and I said, uh, you know, I let Tog speak last show, and this is what happens. What can I say? <laughs> Please come back next show, which is today, Monday. Uh, originally, this episode was scheduled for April 1st, but people wrote in with some concerns about whether that was true. So we backed it all the way up to March 31. It's a Monday. It's the last day of March, and um, here we are. So, uh, well, so what you thank you for the concern. You, you know, I have been doing been so many fun world. things. Um, I, um, we really, really missed you in, in Utah. 
We went to Salt Lake oh, City. Oh, you were skiing. My goodness. Yes, yeah. we did uh, right at the uh, – well, we flew out on Leap Day, March or uh, February 29th. I love to celebrate Leap Day because it was in 1996 – the day that I sold my apartment building and got out of the landlording business. And I am so happy not to be a landlord anymore that every time Feb 29 rolls around, including this past year, I celebrate. Oh, that's good. It's a giant party. I got to tell you, uh, real estate may be a good investment. Mostly it's not not so much lately, but uh, maybe a great investment. It is not worth the hassles as a, as a landlord, especially in you know what I'll call sort of a low income area. So you know if you're going to go into real estate, you know do vacation homes or commercial real estate or something high end. At Absolutely. least you won't have the problems I had. Yeah, we made I made the same mistake years ago with lower end renters, and oh boy. It, that is a dart in the rear. It is. I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to get into it. Uh, it's too ugly to uh, remember. Right. But we flew out to uh, Salt Lake City, and we got incredibly lucky. We were skiing for four days in, you know, the greatest snow on earth. Mm. Uh, the the first snow. day, first of all, they had 450 inches of snow cumulatively at the time we showed up. So the base is now more than like 10 feet deep. So when I hit a tree and put a little gash in the thing you know i was thinking next summer somebody's gonna be looking up 10 12 feet and there's gonna be a gash in that tree they're gonna wonder where the heck that came from but on the first day of skiing we got 16 inches of fresh powder and that just made the whole rest of the trip we had the most amazing snowbird and solitude and alta and my new favorite place in utah the biggest uh, resort out there now canyons which has only been there for about mm. uh, six years but wow a great great tree skiing all sorts of fun stuff that's not groomed, and you just get back in the trees and get lost, and it's phenomenal. I don't think I've ever, ever heard of Canyons. Canyons, it's a new one. Canyons. Uh, route, the, the Canyons, I think. And, uh, you know, some of the locals really derided it because it's uh, developed, you know, very high-end, uh, sort of like Vail at the base. It's got a lot of nice shops and mm-hmm. restaurants and eight-story hotels. And on the uh, different places in the mountain, they've got some very high-end homes. But I gotta say, um, you know, as one who is not a snob, uh, you know, who's loving the throwback of Alta and the fact they don't even allow snowboarders there. Nothing against Alta. We skied there and had a good time. Canyons, just for pure skiing, especially a little bit of out of bounds kind of tree skiing, ah, phenomenal. So that's wow. that's one of the things I've been doing along with, uh, you know, we skied at Seven Springs and I've been in uh, New York, Boston, and Silicon Valley at least four times each, well, two yeah. times for New York, but more than four times each for Boston and Silicon Valley, working on uh, fundraising, and I'm happy to say we're making some, some real progress. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that and the venture capitalists who are uh, interested in, uh, in talk show. Do they know that you need uh, a, a recorder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's why they're stepping up with the, uh, the big bucks. Hey, uh, since this is a, a call-in show, uh, you know, that's meant to be live and interactive. I just want to go to uh, David. You out there uh, calling in from California? Dobby, Dobby, do. Ah, Davide. <laughs> We're drinking uh, Chianti. We're going to talk about our Italian wine and, and everything about it. Uh, but how you been, David? Well, I was hoping to see you in San Francisco, but I was under the weather, so. Ah, uh, sorry to hear that. We had a, a really neat um, meetup at a little museum uh, downtown, a museum called Varnish, if I'm remembering correctly. 
I don't know. I've been so many places. In San Francisco? In San Francisco. So what we did was we rented out this little museum for anyone who was a fan of talk shoe. And, um, you know, we just opened bar and lots of nice hors d'oeuvres from a little caterer just around the corner. Wow. And it was a night of um, art and mingling and, you know, drinking wine and some nice local beers. And it was, it was really fun. I met a lot of fans of talk shoe out there. It's very wow. cool. So one of the many things that I've been doing, that was uh, – Ah, oh, man, I'm forgetting which day it was anymore. I think it was like March 12th or something like that. But, David, sorry we missed you out there. Oh, that would have been cool to hook up and see uh, David meet David. Yeah, now, have you recovered from your uh, little bout with uh, some, what was it, a virus? or? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good now. Yeah. <clears throat> and, Unfortunately, and, a week, week later or so. Yes, yeah, so were you able to obtain tonight's... Um, uh, wine. We are drinking tonight the uh, Castello di Verrazzano Chianti Classico. I checked the three local places. They did not have it. I, I did find a little tiny review of it, though. Oh, now, um, I, before you share the review, because I did no, no real research, um, I bought this one in probably um, the, the, the worst, most uneducated way, but I'm going to just tell you how I picked out this wine. I walked into the wine store, and I'm looking around. I'm feeling a little nostalgic uh, about our Italian bike trip, which is now six months past. Well, we had such a great time. Can you believe it? I happy, can't believe over that. Over half, yeah, half a year ago. But, so I'm feeling nostalgic for Italy, so I'm thinking Chianti would be good just to sort of you know remember, reminisce. And i got to say, there's so many things about this wine, without having tasted it, that are good indicators. Uh, you know, first of all, it's um, it was eighteen dollars, and so it's you know over that you know magic twelve to fifteen dollar range, which says you're probably getting into better wines. Although it's certainly not a guarantee. But then it's very heavy because the bottle is spectacular. It's a, a really um, really substantial glass bottle that has a big old punt punt, if you like, on the bottom. It's got the uh, um, the uh, uh, Castello Verrazzano symbol actually imprinted into the glass. It's got just this beautiful foil, which um, not only is nicely imprinted, but it's got a relief of the, I don't know if you'd call that the uh, the seal or the arms or whatever on top. And then, uh, you know, just to sort of complete the whole thing, when, when I pulled the cork out of this, this has to be the densest, finest cork that, that you're ever going to find in a bottle of wine. So all the indicators, um, uh, not, not so much the price, because $18 isn't spectacular, but really great quality um, bottle, nice foil, phenomenal cork. All the indicators are saying these guys are into a quality product. Now, you know, I, I might be misreading this, but um, with all that set up, what does the review say? This is the 2004 Chianti Classico. Well, it gives a price of $23, which... It's shocking that I would have gotten a good deal in Pennsylvania. Yeah, most places I see is like around 25. Wow. Uh, it says ripe berry nose with bare hints of vanilla and oak, opulent but fresh with lively tannins and a refined structure, long, spicy finish, and give it a score of 91. Wow. What what, what rating? Who who rated the 91? Uh, the, this was one? on 
thewinenews.com. Okay, so oh, that's just, yeah, that's not a, okay. they, people do have different meanings to their 91. So if you get a 91 with Wine Spectator, it's spectacular. Some of the other, you know, wine magazines, 91 is good, but doesn't, you know, it's yeah, not quite so. Yeah, some of the so. others seem to be a little more liberal with that 90. And yeah, the wine uh, advocate is a little looser with their 90. They are. Wine Spectator is a little tougher, but I I, I uh, respect Wine Spectator's ratings. But that that's uh, that's pretty good review, I would say. We've had to leave this open for... Oh, maybe uh, half an hour or so now, Dave, and it is definitely opening up. It was a little tight and green at first, but um, yeah, now the tasting starting it's starting to come around, and uh, I, I wouldn't disagree with any of those notes. That's a pretty well pretty well done there, Dave. Now I was going to make a little joke, although I don't, I'm, now that I'm reading the back of the bottle, I don't think it's so much a joke. You know, I I once did the five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> I once did the five boroughs bike tour, uh, you know, where you ride around New York City. It's 38 oh, yeah, miles. You yeah. go through all five boroughs, and it ends going up the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. Now, this is the Castello de Verrazano, and I'm going to, you know, this, this, this is the guy that the bridge was named after. I was going to joke a little bit about it. That bridge is a lot steeper, by the way, than it looks or when you're going over in a car. When you are pedaling it up it after 38 miles of biking through Harlem. You feel it a little bit. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But on the back of the bottle, it says, um, in this ancient manor house, the famous explorer Giovanni di Verrazzano, discoverer of North America. I thought that was Columbus, but anyway, uh, born in 1485, um, in the farm inside the castle, the famous wine is produced by the traditional, uh, same traditional method. So maybe this is actually the guy that the Verrazzano Narrows Bridge is uh, named after if he discovered North America. Who knows? But, you know, the Italians, are can, they make up pretty good Yeah, pretty good story. story. Now, uh, didn't Columbus come here in 1492? And that's what the song says. And this says Verrazano was born in 1485, so he apparently was sailing at six years old to beat Columbus to get here in 1491. <laughs> Just doing the math. So I don't know if these guys... Uh, and he Italians. had a beard at six. Look at him. <laughs> yeah, really. That cat was into some heavy wine. <laughs> Holy schmoly. <laughs> All right. Born in 1485 and apparently discovered America in 1491, right before Columbus. But I've got to tell you, in picking your wine, we have a, we have a good question here from uh, Reloader about uh, how do we know what we're in advance. Um, well, when we were doing shows weekly... And every other week, we would announce what we were having the next week, but the next show. But we, since it's been sort of uh, spotty on the shows this year, yeah, we really... haven't really had time to announce ahead of time because we do like to have everyone try to get the same bottle, and we keep it usually. Eighteen's probably the high end. We're usually around that nine to twelve to fifteen dollar range. You know, eleven dollars, whatever. Um, we gotta um, we gotta start doing better at, at publicizing these things at the end of each show. In fact, I've got a wine bottle over in there, so we'll announce at the end of the show what we're what drinking we're doing next. next I'll run and get it, and that'll be the one. Uh, but we do try to put it on when we send out the invitation to the show, or when we create the episode description on Talkshoe. You know, come find um, you know our show is number eighteen, Cellar Dwellers. We try to publicize what it's going to be a little bit in advance, but we've sort of fallen down on that job. Hey, um, so David, thanks a lot for calling in. I'm going to actually unmute uh, Bike and Fool here, too. Uh, this is uh, Dennis. Uh, Dennis, where the heck are you calling from? Dennis, you out there? I think Dennis is self-muted, or else he, he put the show on, and then, then he ran off to do the dishes. <laughs> Well, I can tell you what I'm drinking. All right, David. Oh, all what, right. Are you, what are you drinking? And we'll leave Dennis uh, unmuted here in case he comes back. 
Oh, he says he's from Utah, but uh, he's on the phone, and I don't know. We're not hearing you. But okay, David, what are you drinking? I'm drinking an Australian Riesling. I got it in a three-liter box. Okay, so that's the equivalent of four bottles of wine. It cost me a dollar ninety-nine. Wait, for three liters, a dollar ninety-nine? Yeah. So that would be the, the equivalent of about. Fifty Wait, cents did, a bottle. Did you have to take right. your own box? How the heck do you do that? That's a, hey, can really? I take the box my washing machine came now, in? Wait a second. Now let's just reverse engineer uh, reverse engineer this for a second. So this is the equivalent of four bottles of wine for two dollars. And mm-hmm. so let's figure that uh, the the producer got half of that one dollar because you know, usually there's a you know fifty percent margin that goes to the wine seller. So a dollar for four bottles of wine. And our math generally says that you need three pounds of grapes to make a bottle. And so this would be 12 pounds of grapes for a dollar. Ignoring the labor and everything else, the cost of the box and shipping, that's less, well, that's about 10 cents a pound for grapes. How do you ship an empty box I from do, Australia I do not here know. for two bucks? Uh, from Australia, that's a great, great point. I think they're dumping this. I think we should file some kind of, you know. You know, David, I, you know what? You could not say one negative thing about that wine. I don't care how bad it is. <laughs> for, no, no. for $2. And I love the box idea. I really, for, no, I can for say, white wine, we, I'm really into the carton box, the sort of waxed carton. Thing I can say some very negative things about this because these guys are squeezing out all of us who would be producers at that kind of price. I mean, how can you make. Four bottles of wine for a dollar. Uh, you've got a you've got a uh, business point to be made there. Yeah, that's really depressing. That's incredible. Wow. Oh my gosh, you can you know wash the car with it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, at that price, you could. So, uh, Dennis, did you join us? Are you out there? Biking foo. I think he's out there, but for whatever reason, we're not hearing him. All right. Well, let's keep going. So, so passionate one. Uh, what uh, tell us what, well, what exactly is a Chianti? Yes, yeah, since we are drinking Chianti tonight, we just thought we'd like to bring folks up to snuff on Chianti. And I knew a little bit about Chianti. I knew it was basically the name of a, the most famous uh, red wine region in Italy. And it's, so it's not a specific, obviously a specific grape or vineyard or even. Um, well, Chianti is not a grape. Right, right. But, but a lot is, of people think it is. Oh, really? Okay, but that it I've is spoken to. Yes, it is predominantly Very foolishly thinking a particular kind of grape, isn't it? It is. It has always historically been made from Sangiovese, um, and in fact, um, the boy it goes back. It goes back to the 1600s. Actually, they've been making wine in in Chianti, but uh, and it used to come in that classic. Bottle in the with the straw, you know. Sort oh, of I remember those. Uh, what what was that brand? Growing up, I saw those all the time. Oh, I mean, there, there were only one. a few kinds of wine that I really remember growing up, and it was that one. It was big and bulbous around yeah, the, the bottom, with always the sort straw of straw and sort of squat. And no, what quit, was that? Talking think? about your mother-in-law. Here. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, wait. We're talking be, about Kianting. She's a lovely lady, Dave. That's not nice. Uh, anyway, man. Um, but that basket, <laughs> that straw basket, actually used to be called 
A fiasco. You're going to have a fiasco the next time you talk to her. <laughs> That's what they call our show, too. By the way, David says he's using a $2 mic with his headset. So he's calling in using free VoIP service with the $2 mic drinking. <laughs> Could you get any cheaper? <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> you are my new hero. You are my hero. I What'd you, you pay for your underwear? <laughs> Mike. Or did you get a free pair of underwear with the one? <laughs> Actually, it turns out that, uh, that that foil thing inside the box can be, used as, a, right, can be reused as a pair of underwear. Brings a new meaning to terroir. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. okay. <laughs> We've really gone down the tubes here. <laughs> Back to Chianti. Uh, uh, we're only a few minutes into oh, the show. Oh, my goodness. So... Well, well, this one says Chianti Classico. I know, right? you know. So what is that Classico? Does that you know, mean it's like better? Those darn, I love Italians. My next life I'm going to be Italian. But, you know, isn't that misleading? Uh. You think that it's got to be meet some sort of higher standard to be called a Classico, but actually... <laughs> Classico is. Wait a second, <laughs> David. What is this underwear you speak of? <laughs> and Mark is chiming in, saying, "TMI, too much information." <laughs> David, don't throw that box away when you're done. But you've got. <sighs> okay, uh, man. Hey, John B. Welcome. Thanks for chiming in right at the high point of the show. <laughs> We don't. We don't. We never have a high point. No, that's true. We hit the bottom and stay I think there. our high point was last week when the show didn't record at all. But anyway, uh, let yeah, me finish yeah. up on the Chianti. Yes, uh, Classico. What does Classico mean? Yes. Well, I'm loving this bottle, by the way. Uh, it, well, until the mid 19th century, which is unbelievable, Chianti had to be specifically Sangiovese, and Chianti was the name of of a, of a region. Oh, so it um, had to be that one kind of grape. It had to be that one type of grape. Okay, so this is sort of like, uh, you know, Burgundy is the name of the region, but the grape might be, you know, Exactly. Syrah. Exactly. So, during the second half of the 19th century, Baron, Baron Bettino Riscoli, who was the prime minister, declared that you had to have 70% Sangiovese, 15% Caniola, Caniolo, which I'm not familiar with that, and 15% Malvasia, Bianca. And both of those grapes are actually white grapes. Now, this is the only red wine I know of on the planet that ever put any white grapes into the into the process. Yeah, you'd really be mix. concerned about the sort of the loss of color and the the yeah, and the body and the thing. backbone yeah, exactly. and, and the you know the structure of it. But obviously, this guy owned vineyards that grew those grapes or something. <laughs> I think that's exactly. That. I had friends right. who. Yeah, he was the prime minister, right? So he had friends in high places. That's incredible. Funding his campaign. So um, during the seventies, producers nineteen seventies, producers started to reduce the, the uh, quantity of the white grapes to bring up the quality of Chianti, and eventually, but uh, it was only in nineteen ninety five that it was legal to produce Chianti with one hundred percent Sangiovese. Wait, nineteen ninety five? Yes, or at least with. Out the white grapes, which so, means you could, I guess, blend Sangiovese. I believe they're actually starting to blend some Cabernet in Italy. Uh, if someone uh, is more hip on that info, uh, certainly chime in and let us know here tonight. Uh, I believe uh, Cab is starting to be grown in Italy. But um, isn't that interesting? But, uh, yeah, Classico is actually the name of a region. Of a region. Right. Wow. And um, Chianti actually included, I'm trying to find... 
the name of all of the regions. They're actually sub-areas within the Chianti area. Classico, Coli, Orentini, uh, Coli, Fiorentini, Colina. There's a bunch of them. There's, uh, and, and Rufina. I've seen uh, Chianti Rufina, which I thought was actually a winery, the name of the winery. No, that's actually one of these sub-regions in Chianti. So um, there you go. Uh, Chianti, uh, Classico is actually just the name of a region. It huh. does, has, says nothing about the quality of the wine. Now, another interesting thing I noticed looking at the bottle, we learned when we were in um, Barolo uh, about the, you know, the Nebbiolo grapes and all that, but the Barolo had to be aged a certain amount of time before it could be called Barolo. So even if you made Nebbiolo grapes and it wasn't four years old, it couldn't be called that. But then you had to get this stamp from the um, government in Italy. Um, what do they call it? The DOCG, and I don't remember what that stands for anymore, mm-hmm. but the, you know, the equivalent of the Alcohol Board of Bureau of Control or whatever the ABC stands for here in the U.S., uh, this bottle also has that same, you know, right around the foil up top here. Here's the stamp. It says Chianti Classico, ADD, and then 04360127. It's got its, um, you know, special serial number. And so this is um, pretty strict, re- strictly regulated by the Italian government, just like the Barolo and, you know, probably a lot of other Italian wines. It is. And is it a black rooster? Uh, oh, now what does that mean? Uh, it there's is a, a significance it's a, there. It's a black rooster with a red ring around it. And mm-hmm. you know what? My 47-year-old eyes can no longer read the Italian uh, gold letters inside the red ring, but it's a black rooster. What does that mean? Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> Numbers guy. <laughs> Just trying to hang in there. Today you can buy Chianti with this black rooster uh, on the foil, in Italian known as Gallo Nero. Uh, on the neck of the bottle, which indicates that the producer of that wine is a member of the Gallo Nero Consortium, an association of producers of the Classico subregion. Uh, and it's basically sharing marketing costs and um, you know, probably developmental costs and things in that subregion of Classico. So you will only see that black rooster on the Classico um, uh, subregion of Chianti. So there you have it. Amazing. Probably more than you really needed to know about Chianti, but there it is. All right, I'm going to let Tog speak while I try to find an outlet where the computer can actually get power here. So, Tog, <laughs> speak. You know, you, you better get on the ball and get some pretty deep pocket <laughs> investors around here. I'm getting tired of doing this by candlelight, too, by the way. We get a light bulb right, got, in the joint. Uh, thankfully, we got power here. So, uh, my goodness. I, I no, guess, by the way, folks, that's as long as I get to speak. He gets up and plugs in the computer, and I'm done. Now, um, you know, I know I, I, I abuse you from time to time, but I've got some breaking news here that is. I've got, I've got to give you some of this chocolate. Oh, 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 yes, you do have to give me some of that chocolate. Now, um, uh, why don't you tell our audience, um, uh, this is. This is legal, right? You you purchase this oh, within chuck, the United chuck States? Oh, chocolate's legal here. Well, yeah. it's legal, but it says it's got oh. hemp in it. Oh, is this wild? Right, so chocolate with hemp. Like, we need that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're having enough trouble running this show without eating chocolate with hemp in it. Um, so seriously, I mean, this this is, it's... Um, Dagobah. Dagobah, like the Dagobah system in Star Wars, I guess. What is that? What do you mean? What, what is the Don't Star you remember Wars? in no, Star what are you Wars? about? Uh, episode one, which was the fourth one released, just right. to be confusing, right. uh, they had to go to the Dagobah system. 
Or maybe that was episode four, which was the first Did the mafia have something to do with that? No, no, no. Yeah, Yoda's from there. John B's with it. He says Yoda is from Dagobah, and hemp is actually good for you. Dagobah was the name of a, what, a planet or something? No, it was a, a, a solar system or star system someplace. Really? They had to go to the Dagobah. Oh, that's right. He's right. Uh, Yoda, remember when Luke had to go back to uh, train Empire Strikes Back? He goes to visit Yoda in the Dagobah system. So Yoda, when he was in that swamp, and Yoda in the comes swamp, up. swamp, exactly. That was Dagobah. That was Dagobah. I, had, I didn't know that. There you go. But this, this particular dark chocolate is called Seeds. This is, this is phenomenal. Oh, really that's amazing. This, wow. is, this is one of the best now that's like things I've ever 60 had. Now, that's like 60-some percent. 68% cocoa. 60, oh, man. Which I even like the 70. And, uh, huh. I like it heavy. But this Chocolate has, with red wine is just such a great combination, let alone the hemp. This is called seeds, and it has hemp, pumpkin, and sunflower seeds. So I guess it's a hemp seed. So we can't make rope out of it, or you know, get get two nuts. We could probably grow something. <laughs> get that candy bar out of that pot. <laughs> but this got one with is, poppy seeds, huh? This is delicious. This is really good. This mm. is one of the best. Mm. Best. Candy I love I've ever had. intense chocolates and amazing cheeses, and, it, and it's amazingly good. Mm. With the wine, and why did we we talked about this many moons ago? But is it just the, the fat from the from the chocolate mainly? And there is some tannins in chocolate mm-hmm. in cocoa, and it just seems to go extreme. People think you're nuts when I say, "Hey, have some chocolate with that wine." But I think it's a phenomenal combination. Well, I think people um, speaking of wine, would think you it, pass that gorgeous yeah. bottle. Over? Oh man, this bottle Quit is admiring amazing. it. And let yeah, me there have... go. All right, here we go. Um, chocolate does have fats in it, and the fats will change the flavor of the wine in your mouth. I think people think it won't go together because the chocolate is sort of sweet and the wine is not. But Yeah, but it's it's this high a, cocoa isn't, isn't super sweet. I, mm-hmm. I, think, mm-hmm. I think it's a great combo anyway. And for whatever reason, the sweetness does not diminish or take away from the, from the red wine. Wow. Oh, that's really so great. What? I commend you. Now, this will more than make up for or reward you for bringing in the the hemp chocolate. I have procured some Chilean grapes. I have ordered, uh, these come in 23-pound boxes. I have four Chilean Cabernet flats coming in, Mm. four Chilean Malbec flats coming in, and four Chilean Syrah flats coming in. These are each 23 pounds, so we're getting about 300 pounds of grapes in total, fresh from Italy. No, I swear. From Chile. Uh, Sorry, from, (laughs) yeah, I'm back on Italy. Thank you for, (laughs) uh, the hemp went to my head there. (laughs) It's the Chile. (laughs) Editor's note. Uh, Editor's note, exactly. Go back to episode two. Those Chilean grapes from Italy are bad, man. (laughs) Yes. Did you ever taste those things? <laughs> Holy crap. Oh, man. Um, but, um, no, seriously, we've got the, all these Chilean grapes coming in. Wow. They're being flown wow. in. Has anyone and, ever done made homemade wine with Chilean yes, grapes? Yes. Um, well, I found somebody. Um, this actually came from Jerry, our buddy, you know, over mm-hmm. in Monroeville. And he said, hey, did you realize there is a, um, a website and a, a company in the Pittsburgh region, down in the Strip District, 
which isn't like the strip district in Las Vegas or New Orleans. This is the produce strip district. Um, I'd like to get the history of that. We'll have to look that up. Yeah, we'll have to. Why do they call why, it the strip? Why they call it the strip? Yeah, Just because a strip is, was known as sort of a, a well, maybe long that's line what it is. of shops right, or right, businesses exactly. or whatever. It's the, the strip. It's the, yeah. Right, the Vegas Originally, strip or, right. or whatever. Um, that has multiple meanings. But in Pittsburgh, it only has the one meaning. It's the strip. And uh, a, a website called, uh, for anyone who's within maybe 100, 200 miles of Pittsburgh, you want, might want to write this down, uh, consumersproduce.com. The guy down there has a great connection for high-end grapes. This is not, you know, ordinary produce. High-end grapes coming in from Chile. And the prices, frankly, are not, uh, uh, not outrageous. We're getting these, um, um, what, let's see. a couple see. bucks a pound? Uh, no, it's, um, uh, frankly, half. it's a, a little closer to a um, uh, dollar a pound, a little bit more than a dollar oh. a pound, but really not much more than we're paying when we get the California Cal- grapes yeah. from uh, Carl the Grape Man. So um, we've signed up for delivery on, I believe it is May, May 6th. Requested receiving date is May 6th, and so on May 6th we're going to get 600 pounds of Chilean Italian grapes coming in. And uh, we're going to be working with Malbec and Syrah and Cabernet. So this will be a little bit of an experiment. But, you know, even though this sounds sort of exotic and, you know, different, in reality, you know, I bought some strawberries and some blackberries in the store within the last couple of days. And it's a good bet those aren't growing in the middle of winter somewhere in the United States. They're probably coming in from, you know, Mexico or Argentina or Brazil or, you know, Chile. Well, and if you think about it, I guess... March, April is the um, harvest time, right, for grapes? Mm-hmm. Six months, approximately, from Six September, months, October, yeah, exactly. Right? So Their winter right is our summer it. and all that kind of stuff. So you've ordered them? I have. So when they get I paid. Oh. I gave them my... Coolsville, um, my, uh, Arizona. Yep, man. exactly. Wow. David wants to know, uh, do grapes from Chile taste hot? And I think they will taste very hot. Very hot. <laughs> very hot. Well, now this is going to be fun though because we're sort of in the off season, six this, months apart, and it keeps the. Uh, we're in the boring. Uh, frankly, we're in the boring time of winemaking, it, right? It, we are, and and we're going to talk about that before you go on to more news because, after all, this is a show about home winemaking. But to get Chilean grapes or grapes, obviously from the southern hemisphere is awesome because you're right. This is sort of the time of the year where we're not doing a whole lot. We're going to talk about racking in a little bit, which we talked about for an hour and ten minutes in total silence last time. You know, we've got to get rid of that dome of silence from getting <laughs> Right, the cones, bring on the cones of silence. It was such an important show. We were sharing such... It was vital. Valuable, <laughs> valuable <laughs> information. And we were funnier than heck. We put on the cones of silence. But yes, if, we did. If these grapes are uh, even just decent to make some decent ones, well, to, to, to do the process in the spring here will be a lot of fun. Because that's we what do I'm miss, thinking. We do miss it oh, once it's a so year. Fun. You know? yeah, once a year is not frequent enough. Uh, Jerry has a friend who brought these grapes in last year made wine and said they were very, very good quality. Wow. So so you know, we'll see if we've got a new connection here. But I'm very excited is, about the idea really of off season Chilean uh winemaking. So, you know, frankly anyone else who wants to do this, there's uh, you know, a couple of thoughts. You can search the internet for Chilean grapes and see if you can find a supplier in your local area. And my guess is if you're in you know, New York or San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, you might find somebody who imports produce like this. 
you know, supplying the oh, Italian I've community. Oh, they are, yeah. I mean, uh, if we can get them here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, then you've got to imagine that a lot of other cities can get them too. Or you can always go the other route, which is the Peter Brem frozen grapes. You can order those any time, you know, and pretty much 7 by 24 by 365, right? Have them delivered yeah. and just, um, uh, you know, go for it. In fact, um, I, I didn't see whether Alpha King was on the show yet tonight. I, I haven't seen him I didn't him here. see him. I was looking for him. Yeah, but I don't the, think the he's here yet, but there, though, I, I had a bottle of Alpha King's, um, ooh, what was it, uh, 2002 Cabernet, I think it was, that he made from Peter Brem grapes. And it just reinforced my enthusiasm for this whole idea of frozen grapes from a high-end producer like Peter Brem. It still Brem. works. So, yeah, still go to well. the yeah. bremvineyards.com if you can't get Chilean grapes and you're really psyched to – you know, be making here in parallel with us in the off season, right. and you can follow along as well. Right. Yeah, that's I'm, that's exciting. I didn't know that until right now, live on the show. There you go. Oh, now Mark says I just got my. Uh, you know, this is a great point to bring up about one of our sponsors, uh, Winemaker Magazine. In fact, did we miss the contest this year? I have uh, been so busy. I, I, think, I think we, we missed did. the deadline for sending in wines, and I we think have it made was like tonight. We uh, could, we could air. We could you know. Last night, I had a bottle of our 2005 Cabernet that we mixed with the, it wasn't the Malbec, it was the, uh, what was the other grapes that we had? Um, Cabernet Franc? No. Yeah. Um, oh, we had another mm. grape, and we mixed it in at a 10% blend. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm forgetting what it was now. We've worked with so many different grapes, but that 05 Cabernet with 10%. The 05 Cab is awesome. Oh, the 05 Cab is awesome, but this gave it such a nice compliment, and, and I was so enjoying this. The blends are definitely my favorite at this point. Not you know When you do a pure varietal, it's great, but when you start mixing and you can pull Absolutely. out different flavors and aromas from different grapes in different proportions, wow. Oh, no, I, what the heck else? What was our other grape? Um... It was the one that was sort of pink when we first Yeah, we it. got it from Carl. Yeah, we got it from Carl, and it was, uh, it'll come to me as we go on. Uh, uh, Mark says the deadline was March 17th, so we missed. Oh, boy, uh, But back to the point, uh, Winemaker Magazine, I hope our listeners, well, we were encouraging them last show and the show before to enter their wines in the contest. And Okay, so we missed it this year. We'll get it next year because we are making some great wines that I'm sure will be gold medals. Uh, but... Um, Winemaker Magazine, their new uh, April-May issue, is uh, about Chilean grapes. So we're going to have to read up on this before our grapes mm. come in in early May. Mm. And uh, many thanks to the folks at Winemaker Magazine. If you want to subscribe, because we, we certainly love it, go to – they set up a special landing page for TalkShoe listeners, winemakermag.com slash TalkShoe. Very informative. Get, uh, if you're, if you're, I don't care if you're making five ah. gallons in a plastic – and Bucket. David, get get winemaker mag. That is uh, excellent. Right. Course. Thank God for David. He remembers us talking about this in the past. It was Grenache grapes, David. Oh, now wait. Now, how did David? David, how did you remember that we were working with Grenache grapes? It was a. Or are you just guessing? Because I'm saying this is such a neat combination. It was 90% Cab, 10% Grenache. How did you get that? I just remember that you had picked up a little bit of. Grenache. So that's <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. God, I think we have God. We have somebody <laughs> intelligent paying attention to this show. <laughs> oh boy, oh, maybe it was the hemp and the candy bar. <laughs> I think that's exactly <laughs> what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that in decades. Yeah. Uh, say that? that again. 
I haven't done that in decades. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, Hence, well, you remember the Grenache. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, my, my memory's gone to heck ever since I started it's eating It's going to and back. <laughs> this chocolate is amazing. That oh, is man. Very good. Well, well that, now, one, one last question on the before comment we, okay. on, on the uh, Chilean grapes. Mm-hmm. Are, do you know if we're going to know the region or the, the farmers, or is, are we going to be as specific as we are with Carl from California? Because we get down to we know the oh, yeah. farmer where that's It's the Lindy from. whatever. Yeah, and we're going to know specifically. Lindy? Uh, wasn't Lindy one of the uh, vineyards? I mean, you've got Italy, Australia, and... <laughs> I'm telling you, this, this hemp has gone straight to my head. What can I say? Napa, yeah, it's Napa Valley Chile. <laughs> Napa Valley Chile. By the way, Dr. Matt, yes, we used to be Tuesday nighters, but um, the other guy's schedule just no longer permits. Welcome to the show, by the way, Dr. Matt. We're Dr. thrilled to Matt, join us. Dr. welcome. And, uh, by the way, Carly, uh, Mark, Reloader, Hawk, I think we missed uh, Scott and John B.'s wife and Spirit Warrior, Warrior and so on. But we're thrilled you can be with us. Yeah. We are now Monday welcome. nighters. Wonderful. Monday nights, 9 p.m., this is a lot of folks, man. We should we, we should have been doing Monday night all along. We we'd should be, have been. Be big stars be, we would be big stars. Jeez, and we'd have more than two candles in here. But anyway, <laughs> we'll we'll um, have to report on the specific vineyards that it was Function. Lindy Vineyards, by the way, in Sonoma that we got some of our Cabernet from. Lindy, I'll go back and look that up for next show. It was. I was thinking of Lindemans and Lindemans. Ah, Australia. yes, yes, right. uh, Lindemans bin four forty four or whatever it is. Right. All right, I got three quick questions before we transition to the topic oh. for tonight's show. Right, uh, tonight's show is uh, we're going to talk about racking. Uh, well, we've already talked about the Chilean grapes, which is phenomenal. But true or false, uncorking a bottle of wine will help it breathe. What's your true or false? Oh, for Pete's <coughs> sakes! Of course, uncorking a uh, so you're saying false? Of course, it's false. Right, because you already asked this one. Yeah, well, that was on the show that got deleted or erased. So you and I might... I got it wrong last show. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, uh, Reloader, we are going to be talking about a wine subject. Believe it or not, we're racking. Uh, But the answer is indeed false. If you simply remove a cork, it does very little to aerate the wine. So at a minimum, you want to decant it into another wine bottle or, you know, one of those nice duck decanters or, or what have you. All right, good answer there. Uh, another question for you. Uh, this question. Professional wine tasters use terms aroma and bouquet to describe the same thing. True or false? Aroma and bouquet. And bouquet. False. Uh, was that just like a wild guess? or? No, I, I, I used to be a sommelier. It turns out uh, the answer is indeed false. Wine snobs, snobs will use the term bouquet or bouquet, if you prefer, if you're from Wisconsin, to describe smells that originate in winemaking and aging, and they'll use aroma to refer to smells originating from the grapes themselves. So there you go. On the street, the words are used interchangeably, so don't beat this one to death at a cocktail party. Last question for you, uh, and this is a multiple choice. Um, Which of the following likely describes wine made from petite Syrah grapes? Did we do this one before? I don't think so. I don't think so. And if so, I've already forgotten. I can't remember which question we did on which show. Uh, Petite Syrah. Is it A, an elegant, smooth red with berry aromas? B, a light-colored, flowery red? C, a tropical, flinty white? Or D, a deep-colored, inky, tannic red? 
What was uh, A and B again? Elegant smooth was A. Light-colored flowery was B. Petite sera? Petite sera. I'll go with A. You know what? It was D, a deep-colored inky tannic red. Not to be confused with the bold Syrah grape, Petite Syrah is an important grape variety in California and frequently is blended with Zinfandel or other grape types to give density and structure. So there's mm. there's something. If we can get our hands on some Petite Syrah, I've seen that up at Carl's Place. We should maybe grab a couple of cases of that. Isn't that a little finicky like uh, Pinot, though? I don't Pinot know. Noir? I really I don't know. Pinot is very finicky. The, you know, the skins and all that are... A challenge. Hey, uh, we'll announce this again at the end of the show, but I'm suggesting next show, we. this is one of my favorite, favorite oh, wines. A, I really like this one. Wine. A little bit expensive uh, compared they, to what we've get, been tasting. They can get but a cheaper version. Yes, they can. They so uh, if you really want to join us with the head-to-head tasting next, uh, next time, it's going to be the Bolu Vineyard BV, that is, uh, since 1900. They've been around for more than 100 years. Uh, they're Rutherford. Uh, grade, which is a Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. We've got 2005 sitting here in the studio. Uh, Enjoy our Rutherford Cabernet Sauvignon and its rich, harmonious aromas and flavors of black cherry, crushed blackberry, licorice, and cocoa accented by hints of violet. And it goes on and on. But my actual favorite wine, well, I probably have 10 favorite wines in the world, but I like the next grade up of this, which is the Georges de la Tour. Uh, private reserve Cabernet, but uh, for just a step down, and now you're only talking maybe $22 instead of $100, uh, this Rutherford is great. And if if you can't afford or don't want to uh, lay out for the Rutherford, try um, the... Um, what is the what is the one that's about? Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's the... Um, 13 bucks. Yeah, there's a great down. And one I'm, under on I the tell you, this, this hemp has totally gone to my head. Hmm. Um, I'm forgetting the next step down, but it's Bolu Vineyard Cabernet, and it's... Uh, yeah, BV, it's one down. It's, yeah, it's BV, one down place. from the Rutherford. Uh, you'll find it. In fact, I think they actually now have a, a second grade that's in between these two that's... Uh, oh. I don't know. I can't remember what but it But anyway, was. that will be two weeks from tonight. So two that will tonight. actually be, what, the uh, 13th? April 14th. April 14th. 14th. Yes. Okay, so that's when we're we'll going to be back, and we're going to be tasting the BV Rutherford. You can Ooh. taste along with Ooh, us. Ooh, a day before tax day. Oh, uh, Ouch. painful, painful. Oh, so are we going to get on to <laughs> racking? I think rack we are going to get on to racking. Rack them up, because this time of year, March, April, is pretty boring. We actually racked just prior to the last show and talked about it, which, of course, no one heard. <laughs> <laughs> right, but we had actually racked that very day. Oh, we did the afternoon we racking, the and then That's we came right. in and did the show. I think that was probably where things really <laughs> went awry, because when one of the fun things about racking, much of it is mundane and boring, a lot of scrubbing of barrels and carboys and so on, but you get to taste everything. That's that you, what's fun. I think that's where we went off the rails. And what's interesting is wine is such a, a living, breathing uh, entity you taste your wine right after fermentation and your pressing and uh, you know getting into your carboys or, or barrels. It tastes one way. Your first racking, you know, maybe a couple of weeks later, it tastes another way. A month later, and now we're four, five, six months into it, and quite often some of our best wines at this stage were Ooh, a little awkward. Not we're good. Just not good. Some it's in like that weird. So my point is, don't panic. I like your advice. If it's tasting like real earthy and kind of funky, and I don't know what all is happening at that stage chemically, but man, it can taste kind of, kind of crappy. 
Right, and so I find that the wines, when you're pressing, are spectacular because they're still very fruity. And then something about when you put them in the barrel and all that raw oak and, you know, I don't know, maybe still a little too much sulfite, not enough integration. And It could be uh, sulfites haven't broken down. And we have all the dead leaves in there, which well, might I think start the leaves, to take some of that yeah. flavor, too. And, and I have, I've, um, since we've been making wine, uh, you know, all these many years, I've developed more of a, um, an ability to taste that yeast or lees, and I really don't like that flavor. And so I think that's one of the reasons that they don't sell wine when it's one year or two years old. Uh, you are going to go through that period. I remember the very first year we ever made wine, panicking. You know, we had the Zinfandel. About this time of year we were panicking. It was so spectacular when we first yeah. did it. And I, I wrote down um, six months in, you know, we were racking and we're tasting, and I – I thought, oh, my God, we totally screwed this up. I wrote down four or five things that were ideas for improvement the next year through because I really thought we'd blown it. And, and indeed, that Zinfandel turned out spectacular. But one of the things to be careful of in racking, and, and in fact, um, I've got this question from Bike and Boy, says, is it possible to rack too much? And I think the, the issue is that racking does expose your wine to oxygen, and oxygen is definitely the enemy of wine. Uh, you're, um, you know, maybe you're um, <clears throat> using a gravity siphon from one carboy to another, or maybe, as we do, we will drain um, a 30-gallon barrel into a, we use one of our fermentation vats, then we clean the barrel and we pump it back in, and so you're actually moving it twice. Uh, there's a lot of oxygen exposure as the, the wine is flowing out, it's splashing, it's exposed to a large surface of air. And, you know, frankly, if you, if you do this relatively quickly over the course of, you know, half an hour, an hour, it's not completely yeah, you want to devastating, it, right. but you are um, risking things. I'm, uh, you might be accomplishing some positive things if you're dealing with uh, a hydrogen sulfite kind of smell or too much, uh, maybe you added too much potassium metabisulfite, then the oxygen, you know, that actually does accomplish some positive things. But by and large... Oxygen is your enemy, and uh, frankly, I think you want to be careful when you're racking that you're not getting excess exposure, and you probably don't want to rack more than you need to. So I would say my general rule of thumb is you want to let the wine settle for about, I'd say, three to four weeks. All that you know, yeast dies and the lees goes to the bottom, then rack it. Uh, and racking, by the way, is just, you know, draining your barrel or carboy all but the bottom, you know, however much dead yeast and, and you've got. And what would we typically get in, so folks know how how high off the bottom of their container, I mean, you're usually a good two inches I or more the that first, first racking, time, yeah, right? First time through, you probably have two inches of debris, of lees. Now, it and lees is, on, lees is what? It's just the dead yeast. It's the hulls of the dead yeast. And... Um, it's amazing how much there's a lot. You see of, that wine. It's amazing how much yeast is in there when they die, and you actually see their dead carcasses. Yes, exactly. So that first time that you're racking, of course, if you're doing it out of a carboy, you can see exactly. If you're doing it out of right, a barrel, the way I do it is uh, we we attach a little uh, chopstick, actually a plastic chopstick, to the bottom of our drainage tube, and that will suspend it you know, a couple inches uh, above the bottom of the barrel. And the trick is, even if you suck in a little bit of lees when you put it down there, 
and you can see it as your you know your plastic tubes are clear you'll see sort of the sediment coming through it doesn't look quite as you know intense purple it's sort of more pinky um, even if you pull in a little bit that's okay as long as you're not stirring that you right. know that tube down on the bottom if you only pull in a little bit from a you know one inch area at the bottom of your barrel that's okay because you're going to do this three to five times and i i say every three to four weeks that allows time for it all to settle. You want to be very careful that you don't move or stir up your barrel or your carboy as you're racking. And you'll see, if you're using glass, progressively less sediment, less lees each time you go through. Right. And, and that, so, first, that first racking probably gets 80 90% of the overall. So each time after that, it's significantly less. But so folks know on a 30-gallon barrel... Our, and this is just from trial and error because obviously we can't see down the barrel. We don't have any way to know exactly how thick the, the dead leaves, uh, the leaves is in the bottom of the barrel. But roughly, we started about two and a half, three inches off the bottom with our siphon, that first racking, and then just keep going down by an inch until that last time you're just a little bit off the the, the bottom of the barrel. Because keep in mind that barrel's curved and that bottom is going to be thicker than the sides. It's not a flat surface that you're draining from. So. And keep that oxygen exposure to a minimum. So the answer to the question, yeah, you can rack too much. Dave, you answered it perfectly well. You rack as much as you need to. Right. And to it's clarify and get the leaves out. Of every three, four, or five weeks. And frankly, if you go a couple of months, it's not going to kill things. Although if you leave the wine on the lees too long, you can take a, a you're, you're risking potential um, hydrogen sulfide or other possible ill effects, ill flavor effects. So I think, you know, being diligent about racking is a, is a really good idea. And by the time you get somewhere between the third, fourth, fifth time, you're not going to have much sediment left. Then, you know, you're done racking. You're done racking. And then it's just, you know, age as long as you need to in the oak or the carboy and then put it in your bottles. And you know, generally, we we leave it on oak for, it depends on the kind of wine uh, or the kind of grape, but, um, you know, um, um, Zinfandel or Syrah, maybe six to nine months, Cabernet, um, Merlot that you're going to blend with Cabernet, more like maybe 12 months. And uh, generally, we don't go more than 12 months because we need to reuse we need the, the barrels, barrels right? right? So right. Um, maybe, maybe a benefit. The other trick about racking is... Um, when you do get down to that lees in the bottom, I like to dump all that out and put it in its own carboy and let it settle out. And um, it turns out that you can recover a little bit more wine from this lees uh, by racking off the top of the lees after letting it set for a week or two. Don't mix this back in with your, quote, good wine, but... You know, I, I can't throw out wine. Wait, wait, wait. I, I got, can't hold throw on. out wine. I've got to sneeze. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Who wants to drink that? Are you kidding me? Now, listen. Holy we have three. Uh, here's the math. We've got You're three. You're sucking stuff off a dead lease? Come on. No, no. we got three barrels, oh, right? we got tennis we got three barrels that were working in my basement. Oh, my Gosh. I took the, the lees out of the three of them, dumped it all into a five-gallon carboy, which it totally filled, and then that settled out and produced about two gallons of, you know, of wine from the top of it. I racked that into another container and then begun, uh, did uh, its own progression from there. And uh, you know what? We're going to have a couple of gallons more wine. I won't mix it in with the others because it's not the same grade. It's the difference, you know, between free run and press and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's not bad after it ages. Yeah, it's wine. 
It's wine. It's wine. It's drinkable. Yeah. But just don't mix it in. I was just stuff. kidding about the sneeze thing there. <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, All right. Any other yeah, questions there? Let's check some questions that we've got here. I see. Um, let's see. Uh, Reloader has called in. Actually, let's uh, let's see if we can put uh, Reloader. Uh, did you get your mic working there, Rick? Did that come back? I don't think we got Rick with his mic. All right. We're just going to go back to uh, mute there. What was uh, Reloader's question there? Rack off the leaves, okay, does help with the hydrogen, hydrogen sulfide. sulfide. After that, ages prematurely. prematurely. Right, and I think that's, that's well put, that if you're dealing with a hydrogen sulfide problem, when you rack, maybe you let the wine splash around a little bit, get a little bit more oxygen exposure. That can help with hydrogen sulfide. It can also help with too much uh, potassium added by sulfide metabisulfide, um, but uh, you are risking accelerating the aging. In fact, uh, we talked about this on our last show, which nobody heard. We had we suffered our first major winemaking tragedy. Mm-hmm. We did. That was oh. very, very painful. And I don't, five, five, I, don't, I don't have the props in the studio anymore, but um, we lost five gallons. And we know why. We know exactly this why. This is huge. We've got to share this one with you. All right, so... There's lots of different ways that you can seal a carboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the sort of the stopper that goes into the middle. We had these nice... Kind of like a cork going in. Yeah, like a cork. But it's rubber, yeah. rubber plastic. And rubber. it's drilled in the middle that you can stick an airlock in. And then there is, um, for lack of a better word, it's an orange cap that almost has some... Um, and it's real pliable, and it snaps around the outside of the rim of the carboy. It does, and, the and then carboy. you plug a, um, you know, a vapor lock into that as well. Um, which, one of our, which, by the way, I think work. I think those work fine, but given the material and the amount of um, contact of that cap to the bottle, we've had those now. See, we didn't think about this. We we made a mistake. We've had those for three, four years now. We have, and that material does break down. There's no question about it. And was and when we pulled it off, it was like, oh boy, that didn't feel it good. It didn't feel like. And it then we looked at the tight. wine and smelled it, and man, we lost five gallons of beautiful wine. Yeah, we tasted all it all from a stupid couple dollar cap that wasn't sealed properly. Exactly. So there's, there's so over oxygenation, man. Well, the difference was this is this was 05 that we've been holding for a while, so it had been aging in a carboy. And these orange caps, they go around the outside of the carboy, which means there's a lot more contact area where it can potentially fail. When you have the corks, it goes sort of inside the carboy, so just the, the amount of contact area is much less. But we, we looked at this as we were racking it, and it was more brickish. It wasn't as purple, and it was like, you know, you had commented when you pulled the, the cap off the top, boy, that wasn't very tight. And mm-hmm. I, I'm shocked that a small amount of ox, oxygen exposure like that, you know, going through the top of a carboy, which was very well filled, so the surface area is only a couple of square inches there on the top, you know, of, of air, it totally ruined it. But once the process starts, as long as it has even I, a small source yes. of oxygen, it can keep going. Plus, we typically don't keep it in, obviously in our barrels, since we need them for the next year, we never go more than 10, 11 months because we have to have 12 months at the very most. 
carboys typically we're done in a year or two or six months or a year. But this one we were just well, we saving, whatever saving we, these we were off saving years it to, to blend, to blend and, yeah, and we had we're not a bad making the cap. same varieties. And yeah, that cap went bad. So not check horribly those, bad, but boy. yeah, man, a little bit of problem. So I think the trick is look at your vapor locks and is your you know, is that water level slightly different between the two sides so that it's showing that at least you're getting a positive or negative pressure in there? That's maybe an indication. If the yeah. water's totally level and it's always totally level, it maybe is indicating you don't have a good seal. And those things are cheap enough. Ah. I'll tell you what I think now. I'd I'm mark when we crying. use them. I'd mark yeah. it the second year. Well, I'm not going to buy I'm not gonna buy We're those not gonna orange get that type outer caps anymore. Yeah. I like the... More of those corks, uh, the, the plugs that go in the yeah. in the center of the carboys. Um, that was a, a painful lesson. The first painful time we've lesson. ever lost any major amount of wine. But the one mistake we didn't make, you know, often we combine lots of wine from lots of different um, sources as we're blending into these big vats and then pump it back into a barrel or whatever. At least we were smart enough to be tasting the different carboys as we were racking them to know not oh, to so blend, didn't blend it. it and ruin right and, and indeed i think that can happen you should never ever ever try to improve a bad wine by mixing a good wine into it and so we just you know we tasted yep, it yep, and it's yep, just yep, like yep, yeah yep, poured yep, it down, down the, the drain oh, ay 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 so those rats had fun that night they though. sure did the septic <laughs> system was very happy all right so um I think it's time to go on to, um, you know, those are the quick lessons on racking. Um, it's not the most, most fun. We're an hour and seven minutes in. Uh, we are. Do we have or some funny emails we want to get to? You know, there's so much. Obviously, we've done so few shows this year. Um, why don't we touch on just a couple of emails? I think we have an email theme here. Did I load it up? Uh, uh, you know what? We, we, you totally missed the idiom earlier when I said hang in there. So just for the fun of it. Oh, I did, didn't you I? Did. I um, damn you have to go back. <laughs> That's what it was, the damn hemp. Hang in there. The hemp's not going to kill you. The numbers guy shall now consult thine holy book of idioms. All right, the holy book of idioms. I'm the going holy to, book of idioms. Yes, Amen. Uh, yeah, way, rewinding about half an hour here in the show. Hang in there. Uh, this comes from uh, Marvin Terban, the uh, Dictionary of Idioms and Phrases and so on. And uh, to hang in there, it's an American slang expression that probably came, I guess we don't really know these things definitively, from boxing, of all places. Oh. Would you have guessed that? Hang in there from boxing? No, I would have thought it had something to do with early flight. Or Tarzan or something. Okay, a fighter who's exhausted but doesn't want to give up might want to hang on to the arms of his opponent or onto the ropes of the ring. That way he'll stop getting punched and be able to rest for a few seconds so he can get himself back up and continue to fight. Using this expression, you don't actually have to be hanging on to something physical in order to make it through a tough situation. But well, I could buy go. that. There you go. I, like I that. think I could uh, buy that. So there's our idiom, and thank you, David, for the, uh, idiom, theme. Um, the idiom alert theme. The numbers guy shall now consult thine holy book of idioms. All right, and I forgot to bring the email theme, but uh, just to touch on a couple... We uh, have an email theme? Yeah, we do, uh, that David composed for us, and I've got to load it in here to our little sound effects player. Uh, This one comes from Colin. He says, um, I was listening to Car Talk this past weekend, and at the end of the show, when Click and Clack usually admonish listeners not to drive like my brother, they instead both cautioned against driving like the other guy. (laughs) 
So there you go. <laughs> he wants to know, is Tog really that bad a driver? Oh, they've seen me and on the road. I'll tell you, as one who inherited his former automobile, the BMW Z3, which I'm now taking good care of, yes, Tog really is that bad a driver. <laughs> I've seen that car sneaking back into my garage at night. What are you oh, talking about? You lie. All right, Please this, let me in. rings the doorbell. It's annoying. This one comes from a new listener, uh, Dave. He says, love the podcast. Uh, I just found your podcast on iTunes and absolutely love the material. Started making wine around 2000, most Ooh, all great. from kits, but was thinking of making the step up to juice from the vineyard this coming fall. Do from it. From that perspective, I really appreciate info on cellar dwellers. Excellent job. I have one comment, one question. Uh, the comment relates to your early discussion on removing labels. Now, he's way back on one of the earlier shows. Mm. Um, I know that you guys buy new bottles, well, at least up to episode 24. And um, just as an FYI, if you soak labeled bottles in an ammonia and water solution, the ammonia dissolves the glue from just about every label I've tried this with, even the peel and stick types. Red Knot from Australia is the stubborn one, probably the worst I've encountered. And by the way, I don't buy wines anymore if the labels don't come off relatively easily. And this Castello de Verrazano, well, I think that label is going to come off. Are you going you to look at them in the store? <laughs> exactly. But I like the idea of ammonia. We haven't tried that. Oh, so I haven't tried that. We're going to have to test it's Like window them. cleaner. Yeah, Dave, we're going to test your ammonia. And is he soaking in them or spraying it like no, with the window cleaner? No, he says he soaks uh, ammonia it, and water. My only concern is getting ammonia in the bottle. Inside, Why? even though you well, you can rinse it, but I just I don't want to introduce more than Ooh, I need to. Ooh, I see where you're going. But if you took Windex and sprayed the labels and soaked them that or way, or just ammonia, I mean I've got or a just big ammonia, gallon right. ammonia. Right. I don't know if I'd want to get that inside of this. There's a good there. thought. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're gonna to have to do a little bit of testing yeah. with that. That's a really That's a good interesting tip, idea. though. Which we'll check it out and get back to folks on how it works. Okay. As to the question, it's more of an opinion I'm looking for. I purchased a silver medal winning Pinot Noir kit from the Selection Series wine kits. After listening to the earlier podcast, I was wondering or pondering on uh, changing when to add the oak chips to the must. The instructions call for the addition during primary fermentation, but I plan on letting the wine age longer than the directions recommend before bottling. Therefore, do you think it's advisable to add the oak after, say, a later racking and let the wine set on the chips for a couple of weeks then rack again? That's about it. Thanks again for the info. Uh, you guys seem to be having fun doing it, keeping, you know, keep up the good work. Well, we've so, talked about that in the past. Yeah, and I hate the idea of oak during primary I fermentation. Do I don't think, I think there's a couple things that are wrong with that. I think that um, that's our Windows uh, queue there, so we'll get that back on the screen. Um, I don't know if that's going out on the air or not. But, uh, probably. Um, <laughs> Bidding. Thank you, Bill Gates. Fun, fun, fun. I would not add oak during I the I don't primary know. fermentation. I think that's wrong. I don't know any any winery that really does that. No, because and so you think about it historically, oak was only introduced once it was fermented, pressed, and placed into storage bins. And generally for a longer period of time. Although if you're adding oak chips or oak sawdust, then you know maybe you know a couple of weeks um, exposure will, will be enough. But you really want the wine to be at a full alcohol level at that point, so the alcohol participates along with the water in extracting all of the essences and flavors from the oak. So, Dave, I think we're with you. Don't add the oak during primary fermentation. 
But did his kit recommended that. It did. That's Who wrote what he the says. kit? We got to talk. We got to get the well. This is a silver medal, you know, winning kit. Uh, oh, you know, what silver medal winning in Akron, Ohio? What does that mean? I don't know. You know, I guess silver. No medals offense, are to nothing wrong to come with by than they used to be. Um, but I would say he's on the right track. Yes. Add the oak after you press the the fermented wine off the skins. You know, add it in there for a couple three weeks and stir it every other day, maybe, so that you get. You know, Whoa, nice. you're recommending stirring while we still have lees? Yeah. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. I I have to disagree with that. Well, I'm okay, throwing so here's, up my hands on that. Okay, here's the. You issue. just got done saying don't mix the lees in, and now you're mixing it up with the oak. No, I'm with you that at some point you have to let it settle, but if you I put would that say oak in, at least first. Racking. Okay, okay, I'm going to go with you on that. How's Fine. That? So let's How's do that? your first racking, get right. rid of most of that lees. Right. Um, the problem, if you just add oak chips or oak sawdust and it settles to the bottom and that's that, then you're really not going to get a full flavor extraction. And so when you buy the oak chips or oak uh, sawdust, it does recommend that you, you know, stir it periodically. So throw it in there for at least a week, stirring maybe every day, every other day, and then, uh, you know, let it settle for a while. It all settles out and then rack again. I think we can agree that uh, add it after we'll your agree, first we'll racking. On that. Right, right. If you're going to mix it up, you better have the lees out of there, most of it. All right. Goody, um, good questions, though. Great questions. Yeah, definitely. And bump it up. Whoever, Who was the previous um, uh, listener that um, was going with the kits and wanted to go up to the juice, the frozen juice or, or whatever? Definitely do it. That is, that's got to be a huge a huge bump up oh, in I your totally quality agree. of what you're doing. Yeah, and if you're looking for... Especially if you're going to get the Peter Bremen. Get yeah, really good quality, um, you know, grapes that are frozen on the skins, ready to go, just add the yeast. Uh, Peter Brem, Brem, B-R-E-H-M, vineyards.com. We love it. We've had a lot of success ourselves. We've tasted a lot that Alpha King has made over the course so of listen, 15 I mean, years. Incredible wines. He oh. really has. Uh, let's see. Chris writes in, hi, Dave and Tog. Sorry, I can't uh, tune in live tonight. Wife and I are busy, tracking, uh, pa- busy packing for an early trip out to northern Sonoma County Ooh, tomorrow for the annual Russian River Barrel Tasting oh. event this weekend. Oh, baby. Uh, loads of fun, wine, food, and friends. But my iPod is plugged in and ready to download the next episode. So hopefully this is Have getting recorded fun, this yeah. time. Hey, Chris, uh, hope you have or had a great time. Um, Let's go to one more email. Uh, I've got tons of them here, frankly. Uh, Let's say just uh, thanks to Chris. Um, And uh, uh, let's go to this last email from uh, Rhodes, uh, who goes by uh, FoxWelp2. Uh, Dave and Tog, last show, you me- this must be like back in January, the last recorded show, you men- mentioned the possibility of attending the winemaking conference in May, which, by the way, I got a message from Brad Ring, the uh, editor of Winemaker Magazine. He said the conference is now sold out. Ah. So if you didn't move, you're not going to be able to get in this year, but put it down for 2009. Um, I'll probably not be attending, but would love to host a Cellar Dwellers wine tour, seeing as you will probably be in my neighborhood. Uh, any of your listeners could join in, and we'd have a great time. I live in Lake County, about 1.5 hours north of uh, Ronert Park, R-O-H-N-E-R-T Park, where the conference is. Where, where, great, where is it? Where's the conference? Um, you know, I don't, I don't remember um, off the top of my head. I, this was California, wasn't it? We Renaud talked about this. Park? 
Yeah, we'll have to look that up. But uh, go check out the Winemaker um, Mag Conference in May, wherever it is. Uh, Rhodes is uh, inviting us to join him. He says, we have some great wineries, and it tends to be not very crowded. I could even show Tog where I got a case of Tattoo Red Merlot for $3 a bottle. Oh, baby. A half hour closer is the Hopland Redwood Valley area. I just picked up some wine at the... Chiarito, I think it is, winery tonight after work. John Chiarito made the jump from amateur to pro just a few years ago, and oh. I'm sure he'd love to show us around. Oh, cool. First time I was there, he insisted I see his setup in the basement. His winery is in his house, and he is a real host in the Italian tradition. Tonight, he sliced off some homemade prosciutto and put a nice piece of sourdough with cheese. Incredible. There are innumerable other wineries in the area and also that also make great wine. I think the conference is Friday, Saturday, so those willing to stay another day could get the tour on Sunday. Love your show, but I think you might try lightening up on the organization to allow for a tangent or two. I think that's a bit of a sarcastic comment. (laughs) 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 And he says at the end, oh yeah, let Tog speak. Another sarcastic (laughs) comment. (laughs) Keep up the great work. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's wow! What a nice invitation. And that oh, that that would be a wonderful event to make. Yes. Uh, in uh, next M- month, Merlin chimes in, says Dave knows all about uh, tangents. So uh, let's go quickly to look it uh, up in a dictionary. Is a picture of <laughs> right. <laughs> the show's getting a little long here. Um, of course, it's so great to be back on the air and it talking to everybody to again. Uh, it's really nice all the people who uh, dialed in. Well, look, we're we're, we're going to hit. We got a little bit of wine news. We're going to do one yes. quick wine news and then a wine job, and we're signing off. Okay, so uh, let's go here. Um, Get the wine news theme. There's the wine news theme. Thank you, David, for the wine news theme. And uh, are you, are you gonna, yeah, there you go. Take it away. <laughs> well, this is very quick. This is out of Wine Spectator magazine. This was actually, oh, gosh. I'm not going to tell you how long ago it was actually mm. in the last year. But as you know, being in the medical profession, I'm always looking for articles on the health benefits of wine. And here we go. Drinking alcohol may halt arthritis research did you ever notice headlines in in newspapers and magazines? Backwards speak sometimes, do they? <laughs> you sound like Yoda from I mean, Dagobah. Well, <laughs> we might have some Italians listening. Will you watch that Dagobah thing? Anyway, isn't that fun? It just drives me nuts, you know. Research finds. Okay. But this is the killer. Now, it's going to tell you that it's going to help with arthritis. But here's the, what I love is... When arthritis flares up, grabbing a glass of wine may not be the first thing you think of doing. Well, <laughs> i got to tell you something, Jacob Gaffney that wrote the article. It's the first thing uh, I think me of, too. no matter what uh, we're talking about. I spent the day chainsawing yesterday, oh. cutting up four trees on my property. And when I woke up this morning, I was stiff as hell. The first thing I thought about was wine. Was a it's glass like, of where wine. is my wine? What is wrong with this, this guy? This guy is definitely not a true cellar dweller. Oh, he certainly isn't. He's not going to get one of our free badges. But it may not be such a bad idea to obviously have a glass of wine. Well, of course not. According to an article in the January 2nd issue of Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, 
Researchers at Gothenburg University in Sweden found that low and steady doses, I like the steady part, of alcohol <laughs> slowed the onset of rheumatoid arthritis in laboratory mice, and I'm coming back as a laboratory mouse in my next life. And as far as low goes, I mean, I think one glass is the low dose. And steady is once an hour, as far as I'm concerned. So that's low and steady, don't you think, a glass an hour? Yeah, I, I don't know what's low and steady. I'm just pedal to the metal. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, but here's the problem. If I come back as a mouse, this is what's going to bum me out. They use two groups, you know. Mm. One's given the, the, the old, group. I don't want to be in the control group with the placebo, you know. If I come back as a mouse, I want to be able to read because if I see placebo <laughs> on the bottle, I'm running into the other box yeah. of mice. Get out of the way, Ethel. Here I come. Don't give me the placebos. I want the sugar pills. Give me the real deal. <laughs> give me the real deal. Uh, you know what? You want to be a mouse. I'm going to be the fish that were swimming in red wine to test their uh, longevity. By the but way, let me let me just finish by saying um, the the researcher. Andrzej Tarkowski, it is presently unclear what dose should be the appropriate one, he said. They always have to end every article. It's just because we've got a lot of lawyers out there ready to kill somebody. Uh, Maybe, speculatively, one to two glasses of wine per day, as in the case of cardiovascular disease. Well, I figure the two glasses I'm having for cardio first. Right, and then two more two for, for arthritis. arthritis. Then, one for Alzheimer's. Exactly, and then a couple just for preventative measures. Who knows what? By the way, I also read that um, they're finding resveratrol is one of the first things that has shown an efficacy in um, helping deal with pancreatic cancer, which is there's only two really bad kinds of cancer you never want to get. One is pancreas and the other is esophageal. I mean, you get either one of those and you might not live a month. They said that resveratrol, which is one of the ingredients that's uh, predominant in red wine, helps to uh, whatever it is. uh, It it knocks down the cancer enough that chemotherapies are effective on pancreatic Mm. cancer. So they're actually showing some real progress there in a, a killer disease. The only um, thing I want to mention from my one news item, which comes from Yahoo Extra, uh, this is a report on the Bordeaux 2007 tastings. And um, I guess the net of the article is the Bordeaux 2007 is going to be sort of middle of the road. It's not great. It's not terrible. And wasn't the 06 going to be a classic? They said comparable to 82 and 61. Is that what they're saying, 06? Really? Rush out and get your 06 then as soon as it hits the market, maybe in the next year or two. But I picked out this one sentence from this article. Uh, It says, the appearance all over this French town of people with purple teeth is one of the hazards of tasting young, unmatured wines. And I have noticed that um, I drink, you know, a lot of our wines when they're young, um, by the way, I have been going back in and having a lot more of our 05s and even our 04s lately, and they are so much better, so much better. Mm-hmm. So if you are a home winemaker, I mean, seriously, you've got to find a way to put that down and let it age. Because yeah. I'm also drinking some of the 06s and 07s, and I mean, they're good. I think they're probably the best wines we've made, but they do not hold a candle at the moment to what we made in 04 and 05. And I think we mentioned this last show as well. Our 04 Merlot is a bit fizzy, but once we went to Italy and found out they actually like drinking some of these fizzy wines, I've just, you know, I'm calling it a light Merlot champagne. And, you know, once you accept that it's not 
bad and you sort of start positioning it as something good and different, it's spectacular. That O4 Merlot with its bit of fizz that came off of our late malolactic fermentation, it's killer. I'm it loving is, it. You're good. But so, um, you know, the hazard takeaway from this is that uh, drinking these newest wines, just like they stain the bottles, they can actually stain your teeth. And why do you think that is? Because I think a lot of the um, probably that color, the color is just, just hasn't broken down exactly. yet. Because it's if you look at a wine that's and 10, 20 years old, it does get more of that brick color and loses that intense, deep red from the skins. Yeah, know? I've just noticed that since we've started making wine, that the stuff we drink it does stain your teeth a bit more. Well, so. and ours is unfiltered too. Don't forget. Well, that's there's another reason. Uh, both of which are, you know, well worth, uh, well worth doing. Okay, all right. So any wine job? Time to, time to uh, yeah, get to the end there? of the show here. With that our, I can get uh, if it doesn't work out in Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, I mean, these are real, honest to goodness wine jobs that any listeners can go out there and apply for. This one comes from uh, Healdsburg, California, which Ooh, is three Healdsburg. years ago, where we really enjoyed our, our. That was sort of our home base for our biking through um, the Russian River and Dry Creek and Alexander Valleys. Phenomenal. This is uh, at the Chalk Hill Estate Vineyard. Mm-hmm. So we've picked for you a good, uh, a good vineyard. It's a full-time job. And um, it is uh, by title a tasting room associate, which sounds like it has a lot of perks. Uh, job summary, general tasting room sales and wine club memberships. Promote the brand image by providing a world-class customer experience and compelling educational tour of winery to trade to trade and consumer guests, trade being professionals, I suppose. Your essential duties uh, include customer service, mm-hmm. sales, education. Uh, to the consumer, you're going to be responsible for achieving annual direct sales goals for wines through quality education and interaction with guests. Mm. You're going to establish and keep customer relationships by enhanced education, sales presentations, and follow-up, and further develop the general wine knowledge of winery consumer guests through selling uh, by selling through education. So I like that. And with like trade, you're lot. developing and mainta- maintaining relationships with the gatekeepers at Target hotels, wineries, restaurants, and uh, Ooh, that, that like basically means you're plying them with your finer <laughs> alcohol that you're not giving to your consumers, right? right? Uh, so a free um, bottle here and there. Uh, yeah, exactly. You get to collect uh, information from wine club members and estate guests. You track and maintain inventories of the tasting room, which means you're pouring, you know, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me kind of thing. And uh, actually, that sounds like a... a Chalk Hill's a great winery. Yeah, that's be a, good a one. great winery. So feel good about doing that. If you are interested in applying for this job, go to winebusiness.com slash services, look at the jobs, and uh, find this job was just posted today, March 31, fresh out there. You could be doing this. I, I mean, could do that job. Yeah. I think any of us could do that job. So um, with There's that, hope. there is hope. Uh, with that, I think it's time to repeat. For next week, we're going to be, or two weeks from now, we're going to be back on April 14th, Monday night now. Monday night's not Tuesday night. Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We're here on uh, talk show ID 18, as in talk shoe, old enough to drink. Yeah, I like your talk shoe thought. 724-444-7444 if you want to call in. Triple who, triple what? And uh, no, you just have to rewind to listen to that again. (laughs) And we're going to be drinking the Bolu Vineyards BV Rutherford Cabernet Sauvignon from 2005. 
Or if you can't find something this fresh in your state, we always get the fresh stuff here in Pennsylvania. David. Go for, you know, 04, 03, 02, or 82. I'm sure you'll find some good stuff. Good deal. I don't know. Any, any closing thoughts there, Passionate Great to be back behind the it mic. It really is. And we still have some with, more um, Chianti and We have hemp a here. little bit here. The hemp is gone. <laughs> good stuff. Thanks for oh, a lot of good folks, good questions tonight. Great to be back online. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, drink away yourselves. See you We're in two weeks. So glad you could be here. Cheers. Thank you.